This is episode 105 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 105 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Bradley Watson on the show. And Bradley, for those who have heard that name before, is the host of Toronto's number one real estate podcast. That's the name of it. And it also happens to be the number one podcast for real estate in Toronto. So not solely focused on real estate uh, investing, but it is focused on the markets. And uh, I was recently a guest on that show and I had Bradley on my show. He's a very ambitious guy. Bradley's actually currently closing on an 11 plex, but he has an ambition to create a portfolio of 200 units over the course of the next year. So Bradley's goals aren't small. He reminds me a bit of Robbie Clark and Dylan Suter in the way he sets his goals. And uh, he's a business-minded guy. He studied business in school. And uh, now he's applying what he's learned. He's very, very intense on relationships and on building his own personal brand. And uh, he walked me through his strategy of how he intends to get to 200 units. And it's pretty impressive. It's pretty well thought out. And I think you're going to enjoy this. We got into a very in-depth conversation about this, as well as how to raise money, raising money through equity and some of the snags that you might get into. Of course, none of this is advice. Always consult your lawyer uh, for the specifics. But uh, I thought this was a pretty interesting discussion and I think that you're probably going to enjoy it as well. As always, please make sure that you rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you're on YouTube, hit that like and subscribe button and the notification bell if you have not already done so. It'll just help more people to find the podcast. And if you are new, make sure you head right back to the beginning. There's been so many amazing guests on this podcast over the course of the two years. Yes, we're just about at the two-year anniversary. February 15th, 2019 was the first episode. Now we're coming up on uh, on February 15th of 2021. So everything is still relevant. We're only two years away. Of course, some of the lockdown uh, has changed things in terms of the more current episodes, but uh, I do suspect you're going to get quite a lot out of going back right to the beginning. So without further ado, please enjoy episode 105 with Bradley Watson. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Bradley Watson on the show, host of Toronto's number one podcast. Is that right? Toronto's number one real estate podcast. Toronto's number one real estate podcast. So honored to have you here. Thank you very much for doing this. Uh, Bradley, if you wouldn't mind, uh, just tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself. Happy to. And before I get started, Andrew, thank you for inviting us on the show. In fact, tomorrow, we're going to have you on our show. We recorded a week back. So this is exciting. I love uh, the synergy we can have. So yeah, a little bit about me. I'm a pretty young fellow. I'm actually just turned 30 in December. And um, along the way, I've kind of played in the the duplex space. This is back in 2014. It's kind of when I started in um, as far as single family homes. I had a basement apartment and then we actually house hacked. I don't even know if they called it house hacking back then, but we did that. And um, we're able to kind of scale. We were actually multiplying our net worth. We started with 40,000, which today doesn't sound like much. And uh, each year we were doubling it and doubling it. And it was just like, this is unbelievable. Within four years, we're just under 2 million in real estate assets. And that's kind of, that was our early days. That's our baby investing, I guess you could say. And then we jumped over because we were going to have kids. So now I have two young daughters. So we scaled back. And which brings us to today, which is kind of, I think, where our conversation will go, which is what scaling looks like to take that portfolio to the next level. Okay, so just to recap, so what, what type of things? You said you were, you were house hacking. You, did you do a duplex conversion to start? Is that what you, you had said? Um, kind of. So we picked up my first property was we put 10% down, which again, kind of take advantage of the house hack. Mm-hmm. And we, it was a power of sale deal. 
it was on market actually been on there's a ton of business cards it was a winter we walked through my wife looked around she's like this is disgusting in fact there was actually chicken on the stove in the basement and then so for the next we picked it up for the first i guess you could say month and a half we mostly it was paint we did some minor renovations to get it updated but we were living for like 500 dollars a month so it was really good. And we were able to refinance and scale off there. So it wasn't really a burr, I guess. I didn't even know what a yeah. burr was, to be honest, at that time. But, well, I don't think that terminology existed yet. I, yeah. I feel like that, that terminology became popular in like 2017, maybe 2018. Yeah. Um, because I think Beardy Brandon came up with that. I'm not sure. Anyways, but yeah, people were doing it before. They were doing it before, just uh, not under that name. Okay, so what was your primary activity? Was it was it sort of the Burr model, even though you weren't calling it that, to get to that $2 million in assets? Pretty much. I mean, we. so I actually just had recently got my license, my real estate license. So I'm a broker now, but at the time, that was my first purchase, like as a real estate professional too. So that was a big step. In fact, I, we bought a house, I got married, and I quit my job um, all in the same year. What and year so was that? Was like, yeah, this is a really intense year for us. I think those are, they say there's like five things in your life that are the most critical or like the most stressful. And we managed to do three of them in one year. So that was one. And so our, our plan was, I didn't really go in with any motives. I actually had seen I don't even know how to find this on YouTube. It was a Jay Morrison. He's a guy in the States, like a celebrity realtor. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I don't even know how big he is, but this was in my infancy. I'm just learning, right? I'm just taking information. And he explained without calling it house hacking, this idea you can buy something, live in one unit. And I, at that time in 2014, I don't know if anyone remembers the market, but that was a seller's market. And a lot of people would say, you're crazy to buy real estate. Funny enough. I mean, this is several years before 2016, right? So now, during that time, I was deciding as a realtor, do I rent or do I buy? As a real estate agent, I wasn't clear. Mm-hmm. So that was why we kind of made that middle of the line decision. At least to my mind, it was middle of the line where we would do both, right? We would invest it. We'd kind of live cheaper and kind of take advantage of that. Again, in a climate when people were a little nervous. So, Well, a lot of people that were taking that approach, the uh, sort of fire financial independence, retire early kind of approach where you just cut and you live really lean and, and you, you know, you've, you've saved your money. Those people look like geniuses now, the ones that were doing that five, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, like Kellen, I know you had Kellen on the show. Perfect yes. example of a guy that spent like next to no money, spends well below his means. And, he, you know, he can't help but get more wealthy every single year. So he still uh, does that. Yeah, he still does that. Oh, now it's just uh, exponentially, uh, exponentially growing. So uh, that's a great approach, and uh, I could see why you do it. I, I I did something very similar. I was very lean with my expenses for quite some time. Um, I never really wanted to spend um, on anything extra. I just kind of keep my expenses exactly where they were, and then continue to grow my income. So I think that's that's kind of essential for real estate investors because we, you know, the the name of the game is buy real estate and wait. Don't wait to buy real estate. That's right. Although these it's days, it's kind of a confusing dilemma. You know when you've got a wife and kids. <laughs> it is more difficult, right? Yeah. So, and I still don't have kids. So that was one of the things that, you know, kind of allowed me some flexibility to be a little bit, quote unquote, reckless uh, in my 20s and, and fail and, you know, pick myself back up because I didn't have kids to kind of um, look out for at the time. So that'll probably come though in the near future. We'll see. Um, okay. So what year was that? Like you got married, quit your job. All that stuff. 2014. So, I mean, again, I'm 30. So this is, seems yeah. like a lifetime ago now. And it's crazy that I was that young. So but this, I had met my wife in high school. We actually were, so we were prom king and queen. So we were pretty involved. 
I mean, I was the vice pres- uh, president of my college at Humber um, when I attended there, which was a great job. I mean, it paid for school and everything. Sandra, my wife, got a scholarship, which paid for her. She got a full paid scholarship to Ryerson. So that was our 40000 That was literally, so the, that was all we had moving in, which we never would have been able to afford an investment property if that was the decision at the time. Okay. So, what did you study in school? Well, I took business administration. I was originally okay. going to do accounting, which quickly changed in year three, jumped over to finance, and that's what I ended up going with. It was Guelph Humber, so university slash college. Okay. So is it degree or diploma or a mix of degree? Both? Yeah, I degree. Yeah, I, so I have a family member who is in real estate and I was always kind of curious, but it was really a back burner. Like I'm talking about real estate selling, not so mm-hmm. much investing. So as real estate selling, I was interested in doing that. But one of the, the deal was I need to finish university first. And so that's okay. kind of what I did. As soon as I left university, didn't, wasn't too satisfied with my job. I'm, I like, I keep moving. I'm, I love change. I embrace change like crazy. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to keep learning. So I went back to school, got my license. And that was, that's what slowly evolved into investing. A lot of people get into investing first and then they go to the real estate side. Most of the people around me were second, like they, the second career people, you know, a lot of older people. I was the opposite. I started in the real estate as a salesperson and then have realized the power of investing. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you did kind of set yourself in a position to know more about real estate, right? Like a lot of people, the biggest challenge they have now prior to like having podcasts like ours where it kind of teaches you the nuts and bolts uh, is just not knowing the process, like not understanding what you need to do to be successful, you know, how lawyers are involved, how realtors work, how the contracts work, all that stuff. Um, So you set yourself in a significant advantage because you also had access to property information that other people don't have. Um, is that something you'd recommend to other people? Like when people ask you, should I become a realtor? Is your answer yes? Or is it a big, it depends. That's, uh, not really. It's never that direct. I'll encourage anyone who wants to get their license, but I, my first, my gut response is to be very clear that there is a difference between investing and real estate as a salesperson. I mean, selling is, you could be selling airplanes. Now Mm -hmm. there is some synergy, which you're describing, right? Access to MLS. But I actually used investing as a platform for me to learn the real estate industry too. So my second property intentionally was out in Oshawa. That was my second purchase. And I did that because I wanted to be familiar and comfortable with helping other people purchasing in the East end of the city. So I actually kind of, I tried to allow them to overlap, but I would never say if your game plan is to invest in real estate, that your, your starting point should be getting your real estate license. Once you're moving along, if you want to do it, great. But I mean, I'm at a point now looking at apartment buildings, which, which is the space I'm in now where I don't even care about the deal. I don't care about the transaction. My main priority is generating wealth and equity and growing it that way. It's far more profitable than even a $50,000 check. Okay. So, so you're saying you don't care about the deal from a commission standpoint? No, not anymore. Not anymore. Is this when you're transacting for yourself or this is, this is just yeah, for, even for myself, even for myself. This is now like, I still have business that I do that. I'm just kind of helping clients. It pays the bills, but okay. when I'm, I've almost, I'm almost wearing two hats. You could say like when I'm going out, I'm helping clients. They want to sell a condo. Okay, great. I'll help you sell a condo. But when I go in to invest, I mean, I'm not going to let any commission check get in the way of a good deal. Like I'm going to, if it, because I'm, I'm involved in that deal, I'm party to that deal. So you mean, if you want to buy for yourself, you're not worried about your commission check. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's handy that you get to make money on your buys. Like not, you know, obviously that's not a reality for most, but But that's a, that's a great tool to use, right? It's a good carrot for other realtors to bring those deals. So I make it very clear with them. If you bring a deal, you're getting the commission. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold ourselves back with that, you know? 
that's actually yeah, a great point. I know somebody who does something similar, like he'll sell properties. He's a realtor, but he, he won't pay himself a commission on it. He'll just go straight to the realtor and say, you know, here you get full 3% or something along those lines. Yeah. And uh, that can be very appealing to realtors who, you know, are normally only getting two and a half or two and a quarter or what have you. Um, yeah, okay, and so I turn into my money partner and I'm going to say, listen, we're going to get all your money back in a couple of years, but by the way, I'm going to make a $50,000 commission check. Like it doesn't make sense. Like, especially when I'm not putting money in the deal that let that be your pitch, yeah. I guess. You know? Yeah. I mean, the other thing, and I know, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've heard of realtors rolling their commission into their down payment. Yeah. So instead of taking that, it, you can I, actually I've just done that. Yeah. I have done that in my own primary residence. So you could pull it off. The, the problem is you're then hitting the way I never really got too into that because I guess the balance. So let's, let's actually take a step back. When you make a commission check, it's in your interest in some ways to actually collect that check because yes, you're paying taxes on it, but it's boosting you up for the purpose of qualifying for your next property. So in that sense, it's a really good thing, but there gets to a point where I'm at a point now where it's like, I'd rather make no money because I understand the power of leverage and working with other people. So I'm not as concerned, but when you're first starting out, your income is a big component for qualifying. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, and that's a great point to bring up. Like anybody who uh, is thinking about going self-employed or, or, you know, they have a company and they pay themselves dividends, be consistent with what you pay yourself. Otherwise, when you go to your mortgage broker to get approved, you're going to get a, ah, oh, really? That's all you're showing? Oh, no, you're you not going to qualify. Like for me, I just keep mine the same. No matter what I made, I pretty much just keep my dividends the same every year so that it's a very straightforward mortgage application if I want to, if I want to get a mortgage. Um, so great, uh, great point to, to bring up there. Okay. So what, what are you holding in your portfolio right now? So right now, so if you were, so I was, I was joking with my, I was talking to my dad the other day and I was joking. I'm like, if you were to look at me on paper, I don't seem like a very impressive dude. <laughs> so, so during the last, for the last three years, we liquidated our investments. So right now we're sitting on my primary residence Okay, and Along the way, I've known because my wife's at home. So I'm like, we're going to scale back. And it's more, again, it's that balance, that family balance. And like, I'm, a ve- I'm very much the gas pedal and she's the brake. So there needed to be a bit of a compromise while we've been raising young kids. So now I'm at a point where it's like, okay, game time again. So we're going to start, we're going to start ramping it up. I've got our first deal closing on. So actually, before we get there, I, my intention was to go the direction of residential burrs. That was my plan, you know, three, four units, we can do this. And, and that was all the way through. I had investors are like, okay, yeah, let's do it. You know, across the GTA sounds good. Then I got sideswept swept. And this came because of the podcast, because I've been able to interact with very impressive people, yourself included. And that's taught me enough that I realized, you know what, if we're going to do this, let's do this big. And that's been my, I guess, a bit of an epiphany for me. So now I'm looking in the commercial apartment space and that journey started in November. So I'm, you know, two and a half months deep now in having even, I didn't know a thing about commercial apartments. Now we're closing in the middle of February, we're going to be closing on our first apartment deal in Hamilton and 11 Plex. And my game plan is, is in 2021, I'd like to acquire 200 units. 200 units in 2021, man, you don't set small goals, huh? <laughs> That's the target. That's, That's the uh, target. Uh, do you know uh, Dylan Suter? Yes, I talked to him. Yeah, he, Dylan. Actually, I have, um, I believe he's going to be next week on our show. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a guy, you'll, uh, you guys will get along. You guys both set ridiculously high, high expectations <laughs> for yourself. Um, That's great though. Great um, guy. How do, you, how do you fit in when you're thinking about that? 
And yeah. you think about peace of mind and being able to sleep at night. I know you've held, you know, a handful of properties in the past. There is a level of stress that kind of goes up as you own more. Of course, you can right. create systems to combat that. How do you see yourself getting to 200? How do, how do you feel that you have the resources, the tools and the team in your life to allow you to grow that way? Yeah, that's the key word is the team. And, and like I look, I look at, again, someone could look at us and say that would be in 14 months from zero to 200 properties, which seems ridiculous because in a way it is ridiculous if you don't understand how it's possible the Two 100 is, is unit the buildings team. then you then you've done it okay go ahead <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> until you've done it yeah so the next thing is is a team so i've aligned myself with money partners and managing partners and i'm still doing that i mean again we're this early on my my game plan is to have 36 oper i call them operating partners but they're really managing partners across canada so this isn't just in ontario that's another thing. So a lot of people will think, oh, well, my money doesn't go too far locally. That's because you're kind of thinking smaller. If you go just outside, there's incredible deals across the country. And Toronto money goes a long way in other provinces. And a lot of them have a lot better rules as it relates to tenants and stuff like that. So I'm building that team now. And I'd say I'm almost halfway as far as the, the, the people that I would need in order to accomplish the goal. All right, let, let's elaborate on this a little bit. So, so these are going to be primarily money partners. That's what you're saying. These are managing partners. Managing. So you're bringing the money or you're, you're, me, you're connecting you money question. and let then you're going- Let me ask you a question. Okay, go ahead. Let's set the tone for this. <laughs> All right. How much would you say a money partner is worth to a deal? If you were to set up a joint venture partnership. I, I, maybe I'm not the best person to ask this question to, because for, for me, I don't think that, that money is a very valuable element to a deal. I think the deal is the hardest part. So the money, there's a lot of money out there. And I think private money is a big asset, like pr private. I mean, that's kind of uh, an oxymoron, but private money uh, to, to borrow is much cheaper than bringing in a joint venture partner, right? If I paid 10, 12, even 16% with all fees and legals and everything included to do a, you know, a private loan and borrow from a private individual such as yourself. So if you had a hundred grand, you wanted to lend me, that would still be cheaper than me giving up 50% of a deal. So right. that's the way I look at it. Um, what I look at being more valuable with a JV situation is somebody who complements my skill set and will do what I don't want to do. So we'll both be working partners. Um, I've done that type of uh, situation in the past. And my, my actual partner was really good at raising money. It wasn't his money, but he'd be really good at raising it. And I was really good at operations and we complemented each other. So that to me is, the, is kind of the ideal scenario. Uh, not to go down a tangent here, uh, but let's not at uh, all a tangent. So that, that relationship you just described, mm -hmm. I am that partner that okay. that's what I'm doing. You're the operational or you're the guy I'm that's the, good at I'm raising money? money partner. Okay. So you're bringing the money. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And well, I, it's not to say I diminish that, like, cause I think right. money is incredibly valuable. The, yeah. the, I think the biggest thing is, yeah, of course, having the deal because good, good deals always find money. That's, that's my philosophy. That's my yeah. opinion. I, I think that it, because I would be excited if I had a good deal, I'd be like, holy crap, check out this deal. And people would, you know, feed off that enthusiasm and money flocks to that, uh, in my experience. So, so of course, if you can get private money, Mm -hmm. That's the way to go. Like, no question. Now, is there a world where we make that happen? Sure. And now, but not every deal fits within those parameters. So in the scenarios where you need a money partner, mm -hmm. from my experience, finding the money, if you're planning on scaling. So, may, so sometimes I think people put a, a lid on themselves with the sense of scaling. So yeah, okay, money's not an issue if you're buying a fourplex or money's not an issue if you're buying a sixplex or an eightplex. But what if you want to buy 
a 30 plex and you want to burr that thing. Not only is money an issue, but finding money with a few partners that are accredited that can, if that deal happens to go up half a million dollars, you can pull that off. That's yeah. very valuable. And I agree so with you. Being able to offer that is a game changer to people who are in the same world as us, even, even at the highest levels, yeah. if they're able, because it allows for them to experience that growth. So that is the opportunity that I am bringing to managing partners. I love that. I love the ambition of what you just kind of outlined. Uh, I, I understand it a lot more clearly now. So, so basically, you you have access to some very wealthy individuals. So you're the gateway to the money, which is it, it is actually very valuable. So, are these people that are bringing the money? Are they going to go on title or probably not? You'll yeah, just have so a corporation. Yeah, so we set it up. So again, we're kind of building the thing out, and, and I'm sure mm-hmm. it'll evolve. But for right now, we've just been setting up as a corp, and mm-hmm. we would be equal shareholders in proportion. So back to the question I asked you: How valuable is money on those types of deals? From my experience, it's at least 75% of the deal. And okay. you kind of described that in the relationship you had with, with your colleagues. So 50% goes to the money partner. That's kind of a s- industry standard, but there's yeah. a value in being that gatekeeper and people are prepared to pay that happily in order to scale their portfolio and forget locally, somebody can have, yeah, you might not be a powerhouse in Ontario, but you can be a powerhouse in a place like Alberta, right? Yeah. New Brunswick. So Big caveat I want to I want to add to what I had said before is on smaller deals the money is easy to find. When you get into the multi millions, it becomes more challenging. Not when you know the right people, but that's why I think that's your biggest value add is just having those connections, being able to connect those people. And uh, this is why salespeople are are the highest paid because you're in the middle adding value, bringing two parties together that you know in a transaction to add value to both. So yeah. I think that that's uh, that's actually really cool. Um, <laughs> You know, and I've been thinking about this too, right? Like, how do you scale? Because I'm not interested in small deals. I, I've done a lot of it. It's it, it gets boring. I mean, I think my personality is I want the next challenge. I, I mean, to get enjoyment from my my work, I want to I want to step up and do another challenge, a bigger challenge. And uh, the growth is, is the is the uh, the thing that wakes me up and gets me out of bed. It's not the the money. It's it's right. like the the challenge. Knowing I get paid from doing something that's fun is actually a the best of all, all worlds. Um, so I've been thinking about it a lot. I, my mindset and kind of thought process was going a little bit more towards raising an equity fund. And so then I would go after big projects and then I would have an exempt market product, which I could actually advertise and people could buy into the fund. It would just be a set interest rate return. Yeah. Um, that would be a lot of work, a lot of stress, but it's, it's like, well, what's next, right? I mean, I, I think that you know, I'm still, I'm still kind of working out the details in my head, but, uh, I think that that's sort of in line for my next step, uh, so that I could, I could do what you've described, you know, get into a couple hundred units or get into maybe not so many units, but something that could generate, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a month in, in revenue, maybe, you know, $50,000 in cash flow. Those are the meaningful changes where can you imagine what that would do to your life? If you could create $50,000 a month in cash flow, right. um, that to me is, is like a very freeing thought. So anyways, not to, again, going down, uh, you know, a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but I I think that it's a really cool, uh, discussion we're having here. And I like that your goals are big. Yeah. They're not that big. They're big. (laughs) They're big for me. (laughs) Talk to Dylan and you'll see they're not that big. Yeah. Well, Dylan's ridiculous. Actually, he's coming, (laughs) he's coming back on, uh, I'm I'm interviewing him again tomorrow. So it'll be his second appearance uh, on the show. So he's, uh, yeah, he's an interesting guy for sure. And, and to lock down your point too. So how did I get into this world, mm-hmm. right? Like this is a really strange thing and I'm happy to kind of dive here. Obviously I'm doing the podcast and my podcast is different from yours in the sense that it's very market driven. It's focused on the city of Toronto. If anyone wants to know, we can talk about it on the show. I don't have to, but 
anything to do with the local market, like that is what we're doing. And it's as simple as in the middle of COVID in February, I started it. So we are, we're not even a year deep into the show. And I've already on this Wednesday, your show actually is going to be episode 200. So that average is about 17 podcasts per month. 200? 200. You're, you're serious. I'm serious. And we have a loyal following of listeners yeah. who want to know what comes next in our market. Now, it goes outside of the city, of course, GTA, goes across Canada, but it's very much market-oriented, not mm-hmm. investor-oriented. But what that's allowed me to do is bring incredible people on the show, Sa- same names as the ones that your audience has the pleasure of listening to. And that's really opened my eyes to a lot of these other things. Now, along the way as well, I have had as I've kind of journeyed through this and entered the apartment space, I've had a lot of people send it. I've been able to build up an investor list where I can share off-market deals, which we can share as well as, as a link here somewhere and been able to now start to share apartment deals. And I've had in a matter of like two months since November to the end of December, we had raised like $7 million in capital from many little partners. So that seemed quite easy. And a lot of them average, you know, three, 400,000. I had a, f- a few that were in the millions. And then you start to get, bigger investors where it's like, okay, let's start. To, and that's where you get really focused on. This is the, the area that I'm going to the point where I have friends that I see are ambitious. They're entering the market where I'm just like, get going, learn how to do this. And I'm just giving them the money because I'm like, I, I don't have any use for this because there's no sense bringing three partners to a deal when I have one. Right. And then, and that, so now instead of focusing on bringing money partners, I'm now focused on, like you're saying, the deal, which is also a very tough thing to do find the right deal now harder than ever yes well and, harder and than so in recent that's history been my full time yeah. so yes. let, let's just uh clarify this a bit you, you said you raised seven million dollars in what capacity have you raised it do you have it in cash is Not it in lent- cash. so that was that was actually this is available money you're saying these are people who have, who have given you a verbal decision. i would i have this money and and are these people hypothetically ready to qualify on a mortgage as well no, because we're talking only apartments. There's no need. Okay, to. so so they're they're just money partners, and money. they're they're not going to be directors on the company that owns the co- the the property. Are they not going to be? Directors? Uh, they would. Yeah, they, they would be shareholders. Be? Okay. Yeah, shareholders and, and directors qualified. So the net worth needs to be there, but it assessed by mm-hmm. the property. So okay. I'm not too concerned. That was actually yeah. a really tough decision for me. Is do I get them to sign something that says yeah. you're going to commit this much money before? And I made the decision through my coach that you know what I'm going to I'm going to just. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, okay. I'm not going to lock anybody down. And the reality is, is if you're not interested, I've got another person anyways, there's yeah. no need to do that. No, it's an expression of intent, right? They're just giving you an intent to invest. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, well, who's your coach? Edna you, Keep. Edna Keep. I haven't yes. heard that name before. Yeah. She's out West. Okay. She's in Saskatchewan. How'd you find her? She was on my show. Oh, she reached out go. and she wanted to come as a guest. So I brought her on and at the end of the call, I was already looking for a coach. I was looking to do like duplex conversions and a lot of these other things to scale that way. As soon as I talked to her, I'm like, this is, this is, and there's a lot of great coaches. Like she's, she's been incredible for yeah. us. Just let her know Bradley sent you. If you're going to join up for a course is <laughs> great, but there's a ton of them. Even in Ontario, there's a lot of really, yeah. really good ones. The value that I've gotten from her that I would say is different is just being able to see outside of Ontario. I'm not I think that's it. critical. Like I'm, I'm with you and we're going to talk yeah. market here. Like we got so many things to cover in so little time. Um, <laughs> okay. So I think, I mean, 
for one, going east, going west, like Saskatchewan, uh, Manitoba, you can get much better deals from a cap rate perspective. Cash flow is there. It takes far less investing to achieve a cash flow goal that you need to free yourself from work. So, I mean, people would fight to invest in their own hometown to try and scrounge this cash flow, or they could just jump on a you know three-hour plane ride, and uh, you're all of a sudden into into the cash flow after like two, three properties. It's an entirely different world entirely different world i was actually doing some coaching under a guy from winnipeg and just the numbers he would talk about you just kind of like laugh at the numbers i give them like they're buying properties for a fraction of the price and still getting solid rents yeah and uh yeah so being willing to to move markets and not rigid in your own market i think is so critical especially here in in ontario where things have gone insane i don't think there's another way that we can we can define it Uh, most properties are are trending towards a, a out of the reach of the average canadian in ontario which is, that's a scary place to be. I don't know where our future, our future lands here, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, a couple things. One, when you talk to the folks at West, they do think we're crazy. The the other trade-off that I find is when we're putting in offers here, even on apartment buildings, good luck getting any serious condition periods. Like, Mm -hmm. You're, everything is so fast paced, even at those levels. Like I was, I've talked to a few people of all sorts. They're like, have you heard about that Burlington deal? It's got 40, it's got 40 units. It sold for like 40 million or something stupid. Like it was like crazy. And, and everyone's talking about how it got bit up, like, because the guy priced it really low, but it's like, imagine the level of competition and, and coming into those as a local investor, good luck. Versus if you go out West, those, you can get like a nice, you know, six month financing window. I don't even have partners, but they don't even really need to know that. I'm going to get CMHC financing. I'm going to go through that whole process, take my time leisurely. And then once I get financing, then I'll do my inspection. That stuff does not fly here. But out there, you can get away with murder, you know? And, and I guess you're starting to see that even in the residential space. Like look at these Toronto buyers, the level of competition that they're bringing to areas like Niagara. These mm-hmm. guys have never even experienced that, but that's baby food. That's an expression that we used to use. Well. That's baby food compared to what we've been dealing with in Toronto for years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's turned into this, this place where, I mean, only a savvy buyer could buy an apartment building pretty much now. Like if you didn't have a really good basis of knowledge behind you or just come in with pure cat cash and recklessness, you're not getting the deal. And, right. and this, not to say that I'm encouraging people to go in with no conditions, but I worked in commercial financing uh, as a broker and I know that, you know, saying 30 days to get financing is a joke. I mean, you could try, but you know, I, I would most of the time be extending to another 30 days. I would always be extending. So, uh, it really doesn't work. And we're in a position where we've got to come in with a really, a really good plan. Um, and you've almost got to know your numbers, know your deal and know what you can do before you make the offer. And you just come in with a firm offer. And that's what I see people doing. Not that I can encourage that. I can't, but, uh, it's, it's what people really are seemingly doing. So, um, so, so for, for guys like you and I, let's say the play is in Saskatchewan, right. And some small town in Saskatchewan, we could, we could do that. We could do it well, probably, but there are people who have been, aces in that area for a long time. And so when it comes to what is like your risks, like, yeah, there's always going to be risks to a deal, but knowing that I've got the top dog in that community that's working in is on our team, able to manage that. If there's a problem, they've got the contacts already established. That to me is worth a smaller part of the deal. And that's how you're going to build this out because I'm not looking to start like, yes, I can build it. And at some point we might build out these teams all over the country, but the, we're not stopping at Canada. Like we're going to go to the U S I, I don't know how to run real estate in the U S but there are people who do. And those are the people that I want and are happy to, to share in the wealth with. And how are you going to connect with those people? Relationships. 
yeah. podcasts, connections. Yeah, you got to reach. So they're out reaching out to you. Do you, you get a lot of that too? Because I get a lot of people like all these American po- um, personalities want to come on the podcast. I get so many requests that I can't even respond to them. I'm not looking in the U.S. right now. Yeah, I have like I know there's some like we've got uh, like Edna wants us to go to Memphis. She really likes Memphis right now. I'm not. I'm not looking in the U.S. I'm looking at Canada. And so I would, when eventually the time is to move into the U S I would do the same, I do the same thing as I'm doing in Canada. I would just do it South of the border. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking at the U S as an option right now. I think that just, I just need something that makes sense. And, uh, right now, Ontario to me doesn't, I mean, I've, I've long said, you know, you don't compromise, compromise on your fundamentals and in order to invest here, unless I, I can still spread out. There are still ways to do it, but right here in Burlington per se, or in London, I would feel like I was compromising on my fundamentals. There's always a needle in a haystack, but I mean, it's not the, uh, it's not the, uh, the mass that you're searching and you're not going to find a lot of cash flowing deals compared to what you used to. Okay. So I do have a question for you. I mean, right on that, right on this, this uh, line of questioning is I wanted to ask you, how are you finding deals now? You, you said you found the 11 plex. Tell me about how you found that. And then let's talk about it. Yeah, that came through a person. So, so my, most of my time is spent on people, not on deals because the right people bring the deals and some, and the good ones rise to the surface very fast there along my path, I'm looking for JV partners. That's what I'm looking for, but I'm also running into wholesalers, people that have deals that don't have the, the systems. Those guys are great too. So like, there's one guy that I'm talking to right now who I reached out to him like a, even like a week and a half ago. And I'm like, yeah, I'm looking for JV partners. And it, it just, it's not an amazing fit, but this guy is an incredible wholesaler. He's sending me almost a deal every day off market. I don't even think any of these have been exclusively listed yet. And so we're looking at these constantly. So those are like, those are the ones where it's like, okay, this is impressive. So if you go through enough people, you'll find the people who are the winners, the ones that can bring the deal. And that's not to say if someone's small, they bring me an incredible deal. We'll jump on that. That's, I mean, that's a call on the podcast I should be making all the time is bring a deal. Because even if we don't pick you up as a JV partner, we're here to purchase if the numbers are good. So my focus is not on deals. I find the fastest way to deals is to get to people. So my target is to do two deals a month through 2021, but breaking it all the way down, that's where I say I need 36 managing partners that are able to get the deals for themselves. They just need the capital. But the 36 managing partners, that means that's 36 people that you need to communicate with on a regular basis. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's nothing. Come on. (laughs) And it doesn't need to be on a daily basis. Not a daily. No, no, no. You make Um, one phone call a day for a month that's everybody. But in theory, okay. So in theory, you could have maybe four or five money partners across 36 working partners. Is that something that you're sort of thinking like really? I'm looking for a couple money partners across all of them. Okay. So you you don't want to work with a lot of money partners. It's more the operating partners. Yeah. I'm just focused on the operating. So, so that's been, that's kind of the pitch to these guys is like a lot of people are looking, you're fighting on two fronts in any of these JVs, you're trying to find deals. You're trying to build that up, but you're also trying to maintain your list. So mm-hmm. my list, if anything is easier, cause my list is literally just the people, right? Their list is just now the deals. So it mm-hmm. actually really sim it's makes it streamlines the process. So you just don't need to be involved on the property side anymore. Once you get this rolling, you'll uh, literally just be a person might circle back. Yeah. That's not yeah. the target right now though. Yeah. You'll just be holding a piece of equity and a lot of big real estate. Yeah. Which is a really cool strategy, very much different from a lot of a lot of what people are trying to do on this podcast. I think a lot of people who are listening, they're you know they're doing some some JVs, doing some burrs, uh, smaller stuff, which is is a great way to get started. And I think there's a natural graduation, which 
it's interesting. That's what you're doing. So <laughs> well-timed, well-timed. You're, you're not the first is. to tell me that it's, it's a little weird. It is a little weird. No, it's not weird. It's, it's right in line with, with the way I've been thinking. Um, and, uh, I, I want to speak with more people such as yourself that are, that are thinking that way, because then we can kind of share ideas and figure out how to grow bigger and grow better. Yeah. What do you see as being like outside of this? Like, what do you see as being the main benefits you've gotten from your podcast? Like, of course you're connected to these people. Is there other things that have, have come from this? Yeah, that's a great question. So the number one, so when I think about what's the benefit of the podcast, the number one thing is I'm fresh, man. Like I know what's going on. I have high level. So when I bring a guest on the show, I pretty much zip my lip and let them go. And I'll ha- if somebody's off, if someone's saying something that doesn't line up with what we're seeing in the market, my audience will comment it. They'll say it mm-hmm. on YouTube. That's wrong. And, and like, it's kind of like a calm down, calm down. Like everyone has different perspectives. And to me, the guest is an opportunity to get a separate voice, but as I'm researching these topics, like I am completely current. It ke- it forces me to be current because as I'm putting a, pod- a typical podcast for me, the ones that I do are about three hours in prep. So I'm literally researching, researching, finding and, and formatting and then adding a level of humor, which to me is like, why the heck would I do this if I wasn't having fun? And then pitching it out and then letting people, yeah, the audience in the podcast space isn't thousands of views per video, but I mm-hmm. get the same hundreds and actually it does push over thousands of consistent viewers. Right. Um, and that to me is cool because it creates a culture. I'll get a message from someone. So it creates those relationships and then it gives a lot of credibility. So whether it's through podcasting, people can do this. I know a lot of people pulling it off on Instagram, right? You can have a consistent uh, application of content that gives you credibility and builds it up. And yeah, those- Instagram's a good way to to build the uh, the other followings. That's actually how I built my podcast following initially through Instagram. Sorry, not yeah. to I, I don't really do a whole lot of Instagram. I need to do mm-hmm. more. Oh, same. Yeah, I don't really anymore. I just post controversial things on my stories. <laughs> <laughs> I speak my mind. <laughs> so yeah, follow at your own risk. For, no? <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you don't have haters, you're not big enough. That's my thinking. Yeah, and it's not, not too to, bad. I, I am a little controversial sometimes, but... Mm-hmm. It's, I, I try and I try and be myself and I'm not trying to get anything specific out of podcasting, right? I, when I started, so what started the podcast, I guess, is the reason for doing it was it was the middle of February. I had been doing YouTube videos for three, four years, pretty successfully. I think I had 600 subscribers on YouTube. So it was okay. And I was like, okay, well, first of all, I got a little bit more time. I'm kind of at home. So what if hypothetically, what if I was to do a podcast every single day for the first month and just see how it goes? And that's what I did. And I literally did the, like, I think I took one, after a couple of weeks, I did like one day off, but I was doing them almost every day. And that audience started building, started building. So, and then I'm like, okay, this is kind of fun. And so I started spreading it out. Now my times are, I'll do three, four, three of them, four of them a week. So given, because I'm going, now I'm in it for the long haul, but mm-hmm. even just giving yourself that effort and who, who does that? Like, that's so weird, but yeah. it's because, because I'm like, I mean, why not <laughs> try it out? Let's see how it goes. You couldn't do it if you didn't like it. I think that's the key thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, the amount of painstaking editing I did for the first, you know, 30 episodes, like I just, no one would have stuck through that if they yeah. didn't enjoy it. I didn't have a vision for what I was doing. And I think the the main thing that makes these podcasts successful is it starts with enjoyment and then everything else is after that. Like we're talking about that, which we wanted to talk about anyway. Right. And, you know, we can both handle, uh, you know, a carrying a conversation 
and uh, you know, and we ask what we're interested in. I think that those are the those are the big things. So, as a curious person, I think that it just works really well, and I can see that in you too. Like you're just curious, you want to see, hey, what do you know? <laughs> what do you know that I don't know? And yeah. that's how I, I approach all these episodes. What do you know that I don't know? And I, how, how do we learn from each other? So. Um, and the, the format you use on your podcast is cool because it's more of a dialogue, more conversational. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm ADD, but my video content would appear that way. I, I'm more of a YouTuber. We talked about this off camera yeah. before. I'm a, I'm a bit more of a YouTuber. So I like, like, give me the facts, hit it quick, move along. Yeah. I'm never criticized for talking too slow or too quiet. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, that's right. And YouTube's a different content. Yeah. And I, and that's why I've, I've really haven't dove, dove into that because I don't feel like I'd enjoy that as much. I don't, I don't nearly enjoy the pre-planning of, of yeah. a detailed episode as much as I do just having a conversation with someone. So I think that that's why this has worked. And, you know, if I had someone working with me to like create YouTube channel, channel content, I think that that would work really well. I'd be into yeah. that. But um, usually, you know, people just say, Hey, Andrew, start talking. And, and that's, that's kind of what works for me. <laughs> so uh, we'll see where I go with that in the future, but I would like to ramp the content up. I would like to do more. So I do the podcast one a week and uh, I'd love to have YouTube on top of that, but uh, yeah. would like some help with it for sure. Okay. So what else did I have here for you as a question? Okay, so let's go through this this uh, this deal. What are you buying this 11plex for? Well, okay, so this is out in Hamilton. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a managing partner out that way. It, so this particular deal is four commercial units on the ground floor. Okay. It's in downtown Hamilton, and we've got a seven residential units on the top. Okay, and the purchase price is? 1440, I believe was the final. 1.45-ish, somewhere in there. Okay, so 1440. Do you know how much approximately you're figuring renovations uh, will be? So, okay, so I'll give you you the rundown, okay? Yeah, like the back of the envelope stuff here, yeah. Yes, so we we got a 90% VTB. So I think, what does that work out to? 250, something like that. We've got also a renovation budget, I think it worked out to, because we ended up finding some stuff in the inspection. So I think it came out to 750-ish. So we're floating around the million in capital requirement. Okay, so so you're saying you're putting a million dollars in? Yes, between down payment and rental. Down payment and rental. Okay, so if we just let's just isolate because it'll get confusing if I try and mix all that. So so if we just want to look at renovation, do you know? Do you have an approximate renovation, number for me? Let's call it seven fifty for now. Seven fifty. Okay. All right. So. Purchase plus renovation is about uh, two point one nine million. Yes, so money in that's our all in the in the deal. Yes. Yeah, so you're in after renovation. The asset will have had the purchase plus the renovation, which will be two point one nine million. Right. You're going to go back at the end of that point at end of that, and you're going to get it valued. What do you think the new value is? Like you're in for two point one nine after the renovation, but what's what's it worth at that point? Very conservatively, two point nine. Two point nine million. Okay. I'm thinking it's going to go over three though. All right. Well, we're, we're just going to, so, and you're going to be at a 65% bank mortgage, right? Is that what you're figuring on? I got to pull this up. Yes. I think okay. that's the numbers. Yeah. They're not going to give you more than that because you mixed yeah, use. 65. So if you were just residential, we're they just might, at, yeah. Yeah. Then they might even go to 80%, more likely 75. But if you're just, if you, if you're a mixed use, it's usually 65, maybe 70. So yeah. no, but let's just assume 65. Yeah. 65 is, was our target. Okay. 
I mean, if we get better, then we get better, but that's what we're thinking. Okay. So a real quick look at those numbers, then your net investment on something that's worth 2.9 million after you refinance. So, so your new mortgage is going to be 1.885, uh, meaning that there's $305,000 left in the deal. So yeah, that'll and be- And that's why I'm pretty confident we're going to go over three. Like yeah. I am pretty confident, but we're, we're, our estimate is we're going to come out pretty much clean. Okay. So- yeah. So you've, you've kind of given me your, your more conservative situation. Very, that but, was the pre, yeah, yeah that was yeah. very conservative, that one. And, and I'm all for that. I, I truthfully, I think that you probably will hit over three uh, just because everything seems to go up higher than people expect these days. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the trend in Ontario. But uh, okay, so what's, uh, you're going to have. So that have, unit, uh, give more insight, that unit has four tenants right now. So the other are all vacant. So we're hoping to have this completed in 18 months. What will your gross rent be? Do you do you know approximately gross rent on a monthly basis? I don't basis? off the top of my head. Okay, Sorry. so so these let's just look at these seven residential units. What are they? One beds, two beds, or a mix? Um, uh, it's a bit of a mix. Two, I think there's one three, a few twos, and maybe okay. a couple ones. We're so adding say, the commercial. We're converting to two, so it'd be four additional two bedrooms. Four additional. So when you're done, you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have eleven, eleven uh, res, and you'll have three commercial. No commercial, all residential. No. Okay, so you're just is it gonna be a, oh that's where the eleven comes from then? No, because you had eleven anyway. You you bought it. So we have seven, seven residential, four today. commercial. Yeah, seven res, four commercial. Convert them all to res. Okay, so you're just going to convert them all and you're just going to have seven, 11 residential units. That's right. All right. Okay, so 11 res units. What do we think an average rents would be? Like 1750? Well, that's too much. No, probably more like 1500. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just going to pull it I would need it. to pull it up, man. I don't have it in front of me. Oh, I do this all the time. We'll, we'll just give it a ballpark right, here and see, see yeah, if okay. we're. Uh, 15. Sure. You're going to be like $16,500 gross rent a month, probably something along that, along that line. Maybe, maybe it's more, but I think 1500 is probably a good, a good average rent. Um, yeah, it, we, we can play with that. Plus utilities, right. We have separate, they're separately metered and completely separate or, or is um, there, that's my understanding. I think they are completely separate. Well, that's awesome. If that's the case. Um, okay. So in terms of taxes on something like that, I guess we'd sort of be guessing, but if it's worth 3 million, I'm, I'm going to guess you're probably in the $15,000 a year range, maybe more. And then in terms of insurance, we're going to say probably like 4,000 maintenance. I'll leave that. I'm going to put that to like 8%. Uh, so utilities, I'm just going to leave like three grand there for if there is anything shared. And then I want to give you the numbers here. Let me give you the numbers. <laughs> you have them? All right. Uh, effective gross income, 193. Um, you have 193 gross income? Yeah. Okay, so Expenses, it looks like... Okay, so I'm just going to adjust this. So it looks like you're figuring more than... You're, you're figuring probably more like 1650 a unit. Yeah, 1650 a unit is what you're, you're figuring based on that. Yep. Uh, okay, so give me the taxes, property taxes. Property taxes, 13690 That wasn't too far off. Insurance? 5040 Okay, so five thousand forty and uh, maintenance. I'm just going to leave that at eight percent, just as a, a kind of a conservative um, estimate. That's Utility. more conservative than us, but yeah, yeah. Okay, we can play with it. Like I like yeah, to yeah. do that. I'll, I'll put a couple like, hey, let's play with this and see you know how it might be in different circumstances. So no utilities in that list. Does that show? Actually, there is. There's nine thousand utilities. So yeah. then I guess it was separate. There's always something shared in these older buildings, unfortunately. Yeah. Lawn care and snow removal. Do you have anything in there for that? No, no. I mean, you'd put that in maintenance, I guess, but no. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll put a number 2,500 for that just to cover for the year. It could be less. It probably would be uh, depending on how big the, the actual area is. 
Uh, and then just like say 500 bucks for miscellaneous. Do you have a building superintendent that you're going to have to pay or? Yeah, we're, we budget for management. Okay. So you've so, got management you're going to pay. So let's just get yeah. that in here. So what are you, what are you budgeting for management? 96.50. So now keep 50. in mind, these guys have in-house ma- uh, management too, yeah. that we're partnering with. So that helps us out. Right. Okay. So it looks like you're budgeting 5% for management, yeah. which actually works on buildings with more, more units. You can tend to get that percentage down a bit because there's a, there's a volume of work. Okay. So you figured 2.9 as your final value. Um, I'm getting a, okay. So net operating income off of that 132,000, your cap rate based on a $2.9 million final value would be 4.5%, which totally seems reasonable. These numbers yep. seem to make sense. 66 uh, LTV we got. Yeah. You're saying 66. So I, I, I just typically would yeah figure 65%. Yeah. So what kind of interest rate do you figure you'd get at the end? Maybe like two and a half? Um, what do we use on here? I, I think you could do better than two and a half. I guess it depends yeah. on the speed, right? If you can get it locked in early. It is commercial, right? Unless you go CMHC. Um, I don't, Which I, we're not doing. You're in not this doing case. that. So, okay. so in that case, like, it tends to be a bit higher. But uh, yeah, maybe two and a half, two and a quarter. I'll put two and a half to be conservative. So, yeah. um, all right. So basically at the end of the day, it looks like you're going to have a mortgage payment at 8,500. You're going to have basically uh, $2,600 a month in cash flow. So not bad. It's nice to have positive cash flow. And then you've got a deal which you might actually be able to pull all your money back out of. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure we will. Okay. Sure we'll. the, the play that we're doing on these deals that I'm looking for is not so much a cash flow play. It's a money back to investor play. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And then you then you have unlimited growth because they can keep recycling the money and if they're going to be happy. If it was cash flow, we'd be yeah. looking east or west. It'd never even come into Ontario. <laughs> yeah. No, that, and that's fair. So so if we wanted to break down these numbers on an annual basis, if you're getting 3% appreciation, that's $87,000 uh, a year of appreciation, just the market making that building go up in value. If we have, look at our mortgage pay down, uh, it's a 25-year amortization. So it's quite aggressive. You're paying off almost $60,000 a year in your, your mortgage. And then you've got annual cash flow of just over 30,000. So uh, the cash on cash return here, based on still leaving three hundred and five thousand dollars in, is over ten percent, and your total return on that three hundred and five thousand is about sixty percent. So, if you do better and you pull even more money out, then your return is just going up and up, and you're going to have some in, you're going to have some happy investors, and then you just got to keep <laughs> then you just got to keep growing it, right? Do you do you have a, a goal of of eventually living off of some of this money or you're just going to keep running your real estate transactions? Yeah, business? I'm just going to keep running real estate for now. Okay. I, so, I don't know. We'll see where this goes. I, I more have targets as far as the business goes, but not, I haven't translated them into personal goals yet. Uh, as long as you're having fun, man. <laughs> yeah, it's just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way to be in business, man. Uh, what is, there's a quote, you know, working for money is the worst way to earn money. Uh, you should work for enjoyment and uh, and then I forget the other part of it. I have to like go back. My and real estate it. business, I'm good. Like, and it actually has made it a lot easier on me because I was talking to a client that I'm putting their place up in in a couple months, yeah. and I'm like, this year I'm not prospecting for real estate. Like, I'm at a mm-hmm. point now where I'm focusing all my energy onto building apartments, so I have a ton of time for my actual clients, for my real estate clients. In fairness, though, with this podcast, do you really need to prospect? You must get a lot of people no, this, reaching that, out to you. The, the podcast has become prospect, but you know what? Even before podcasting, YouTube became my prospecting tool. So mm-hmm. I was already using it as a primary medium. When you get into real estate, like as a salesperson, they're telling you door knock, cold call, flyers. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm, if this is what the job is, I don't want it. Like, that's not yeah. what I'm doing. No. <laughs> yeah. Like it would make it less enjoyable. Some people thrive on that. Uh, for me, no, that wouldn't be fun. It actually kind of makes me, 
you know, regret not doing this a lot sooner. I wish I'd, I'd done something like this back when I started, like when I was doing the mortgage business, how much business I would have been able to generate. Um, I still have my license. I just, to me, I don't really enjoy that business. I, I'm more on the construction side now and that's more enjoyable, but I do enjoy looking at properties. So, you know, I, I had thought about it so many times throughout my, my investing career. Should I get my real estate license? Never did. It, there's pros and cons, right? Like you said, you know, it's a very different lifestyle uh, from just being an investor. I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of purchases because my thinking is I'd rather get less money on the purchase price. Like you're saying, you mm-hmm. could say roll it into the mortgage, but I, you could mm-hmm. also roll it into the purchase. You take it off the purchase amount. Yeah. So. Well, and think about how well connected you are, right? Because you're in the business, you run the podcast. So a lot of other realtors are going to know who you are. They know you're looking to buy. That's yeah. val- That's incredibly valuable. I um, need to be more vocal about that. Mm-hmm. I spent most of my time saying, go get on our investor list. We got off market deals, apartment deals. Yeah. I'm now just, again, this, I'm, a, I'm just entering the commercial space. So I now need to, I'm trying to hone in what's my message yeah. and will it be, uh, bring me the deals? Maybe if that, if that's the message, then we'll start to preach it a little bit more. Now you know? I do have, I do have one question just on the kind of the technical side here. So as far as being able to solicit private money, you mentioned you're going after accredited investors. Yeah. Um, what are you doing to say safe quote unquote, uh, as far as OSC is concerned? you know, for, for soliciting kind of exempt market money or private well, I, money. So my understanding is as if they're a cred, you've got, I mean, that's a huge checkbox. That was yeah. part of the reason I wanted to go a cred because if you're picking up people, unless they're very closely related to you or you're mm-hmm. doing a bunch of other dancing that a lot of people do, then you kind of only are limited to a cred. So being yeah. in a cred space, I'm not too concerned about securities. Can you run just, just for our listeners and viewers what the requirements are to be accredited? And accredited is a self-diagnosis. Like you you say, I am an accredited investor because you can check the boxes, right? Yeah, I, I my understanding of a cred is, what is it? $2 million in net worth, I believe? Or three, I, I think it's liquid. Think it's two or $300,000 income as an individual or four or, or five. I think it's a, so... Pretty sure it's 200 as an individual, 300 as a couple. And yeah. I believe you need to have a million liquid assets. Oh, okay. Or yeah, $5 so million dollars net worth. Your work. I mean, you can Google it up pretty quick. I, yeah, yeah. Our guys are accredited. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah. Oh, trust me. We're accredited. Yeah. No, in, in fair, <laughs> yeah. a lot of people don't want to, don't want to even get into it. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about that. We're accredited. You'll know you're accredited yeah. when you're accredited. That's the, yeah. that's why they give that designation because yeah. it shows a level of sophistication, know, right? Understanding of it. So. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar, this whole thing is, uh, this, this is basically done because people don't want to, um, our, our government has decided to protect us for our, from ourselves, which is classic in Canada. Um, and they don't want to allow uh, people who are not sophisticated to get into sophisticated investments. So this is their way of kind of separating those. So those who have achieved accredited, meaning they already have significant wealth can afford to lose it. I guess they're, they're saying, you know, if you're, if you're going to take risks, but I don't know that whole thing, that's a rabbit hole. We can go down that I don't need to. I don't, I don't agree with that fully. Cause I think that for instance, yourself, I know you want to deal with the bigger investors, but there's a lot of smaller investors that would really like to get involved too. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Is and, what it is. They're trust me. Cause talking to many people, people, if it's not accredited, they don't sweat that. They like, yeah. yes, it's a, I guess it depends on like what, what the deal is and the relationships, but you can, you can protect yourself. You just got to go slower. Or so they would say, my, my thinking is the safest move is play with the creds. And that's yeah. also a big pitch to the managing partners because maybe they're dealing, especially if they're small to midsize, they're dealing with non-accredited folks. 
Mm-hmm. Heck, some of these dealing with R- RSPs. Like you're, if you're mm-hmm. if you're playing in the RSP pond in the commercial apartment space, you need more capital. Like you're yeah. you're kind of stuck. Though it's possible, it's not the best case scenario. So well, jumping, and that's been a big part of the reason why I've kind of rediverted my attention towards the accredited and not left behind, but kind of have have shared them with other people and, and strictly focused mm-hmm. my attention on the accredited. And you're just saying from a, from a standpoint of, of legal protection, that's your yeah. best bet to keep it yourself is. safe. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. There are a lot of people who solicit openly for joint venture partners and, and guys, I'm not here to give legal advice, talk to your lawyer, but you do need to be careful and you do want to do your due diligence here uh, because there are regulations out there. So uh, just my take on it, my understanding. Um, so anyways, we'll leave it at that. Uh, Bradley, where do people find you? Well, if they want to follow my not as kept up Instagram account, they're welcome to. Like you, I, I share stories, which is more personal stuff. So they're welcome to jump in. That's at Watson Estates. Um, if they want, they can, I mean, they can jump over to the podcast. And mm-hmm. if, especially if they want to know, we do have investor interviews, but it's more so centered around the market called Toronto's number one real estate podcast. And if they want to get access to, like I said, we share deals, the ones that we're not jumping on, but are still good with our investors. Plus I get off market stuff. They can get on our investor list, which they can find. We'll share the link or they can find it on my channel as well. And then, yeah, if you guys have deals, send them over. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. Uh, okay. So I'm going to put your, your Instagram in the show notes. I'm going to put a link to your podcast uh, in the show notes. Is, is it on YouTube? It is, right? Yeah, we're actually the largest podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes. On iTunes? Look okay. Toronto real estate, we're right there. Okay. You're on Spotify as well? Yep. So Number Spotify, one those are the big ones now, right? <laughs> Just Spotify and Apple Podcasts, really. And then YouTube. So those are the big three, I think. Um, okay. So we'll get those links into the show notes so that people can find you. Uh, really appreciate this. Uh, any any final words of wisdom to investors that are are thinking about doing what you're doing and that's scaling? What's your What's your final word of wisdom here? Well, knowing the majority of people are playing in the residential space, they're kind of playing in a small pond, which they can be extremely successful at. But I would encourage people to kind of expand their vision. One of the ways that it helped me was through a coach. So I would encourage people to reach out, get a coach that can kind of, you know, blow the lid off, so to speak, and grow it out and keep learning, right? Like you got to be in a constant state of learning. I think people sometimes, though, they'll listen to our podcast, they'll get caught at that as their source of information. Mm -hmm. But I do think you need to put your wallet down and actually, you know, get more involved and get active, get invested, physically invested into doing it to be successful. Cool, man. All right. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Bradley. So I'll look forward to my episode on your podcast coming out uh, tomorrow. And uh, by the time this airs, that'll be a, a while. It'll but be, uh, so episode 200. Episode 200. I'm just about, I just launched episode 100. So you, you've done incredible, man. That's really awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks. I'll see you on the next one.